Have a few minutes? You won't believe what you can do with it. Open a Regions checking account online in as little as five minutes. Then enjoy award-winning service and banking tools and tech that help you live in the moment. Learn more at regions.com slash live in the moment. Regions Bank, member FDIC. Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio inside the Gas South Convention Center in Duluth, Georgia, it's time for Regions Business Radio. Regions Business Radio is presented by Regions Bank. Embrace the if in life. Member FDIC. Now, here's your host, J.D. Mueller. Thank you, Mike Salmon. I am J.D. Mueller, host of Regions Business Radio, commercial banking leader for North Georgia at Regions Bank, and I'm so happy that you've chosen to download us, listen to us, watch us, whatever the case may be, on this episode of Regions Business Radio. To say that we're in interesting times is an understatement. It's June 29th of 2023 as we record this. It's a Thursday morning, and outside of these walls, there's a lot going on in the economy. There's a lot going on in our business communities. And, um, and I have a very special guest. Uh, isn't it funny, Mike, that, you know, every podcast host wants to say that their guest is special, you know? Your guest today is special. Well, that's where I was going. Yeah. I mean, how, how many times do you get to host the chief investment officer of Regions Bank? You, um, you don't. It, it's, uh, it's, it's a, rare. It is rare. I mean... Alan McKnight, our guest today, he's a he's a chief investment officer, but he's also you know somewhat of a uh, you know he's a media personality, CNBC, Fox Business, a legit. He's shaking his head at me. Alan, thank you for joining us today. <laughs> well, I'm just glad we're taping this because my daughters don't believe that any of that is true. So I can tell you right out of the outset, they'd say absolutely not. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He has no idea what's happening. So I appreciate fluffing it up a little bit because I can de- definitely just show this to him. Like, oh, really? Yeah. Other people think that. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Well, I mean, you're the guy that makes them eat broccoli. That's right. You know? Exactly. <laughs> I started off in a really bad spot with that. Yeah, no kidding. What are their names? Ellery, Vaughn, and Latham. Oh, yeah. Beautiful names. Oh, thank you. And, uh, you know, of course they're going to they're gonna shrug their shoulders. Dad don't know anything. That's right. You know, dads don't know anything. And they're all teenagers, by the way. Oh. So you like, that's the trifecta <laughs> on that one. I have no chance, at least for the next probably five to seven years. Yeah, yeah, you're done. Yeah. You're done. You know, the funny thing is, is dads, we can say something to our kids and they think we're stupid, but somebody else can say something, use the same exact words, 100%. and they get it. That's right. <laughs> now I know why my dad always is so frustrated. That's right, me. exactly. But the nice thing is, you know how it works, so yeah. you shouldn't expect anything different. Yeah, that's right. I was uh, talking to my daughter the other day. She's got, a, she's got a boyfriend. I said, there's only one person in this family that's ever been a 20-year-old boy, and it's me. So you're going to listen to me. I have direct me. knowledge. I'm <laughs> yeah. telling you. For once, this is, this is the knowledge right. point. So, so maybe your daughters can understand that you do have fun. You know, you are uh, in demand because of what you know and your experience. So why don't you give us a little, um, the, little biography, autobiography, I guess, in your case, <laughs> of, of who you are, how you got here, and a little bit of the Alan McKnight story. Certainly. So first and foremost, as chief investment officer, I'm blessed to work with the team at Regions. So my team, we manage approximately $61 billion for clients across the bank. And that's everything from institutions, pension plans, endowments, foundations, corporate entities, to individuals and families. And, and really across that litany of clients, our job every day is to ensure that we're delivering an investment solution that meets them where they are. 
And that mm. differs. And there are certain themes that go through that and our views on the markets, which we'll get into in a little bit. But at its core, it's our ability at the tip of the spear to deliver that and the ability to understand our clients and know what they are trying to achieve, what goals they have, the objectives, and then bring an investment solution to bear that will solve for that. Because I think as we all know, things change in life. Oh, Whether yeah. you're a CFO or com- of a company or you're an individual planning to retire, things change and you have to modify behavior and thoughts and views along the way. So over time, as I came to this role, it was running a mutual fund. It was being a CIO at another organization. Um, I went to school up in Virginia at Washington and Lee University and um, oh, wow. I had the good fortune of, of spending time up there and business school at the University of Texas. But really it all led to the point where we are today and the desire to manage an investment team and mm-hmm. to try to think a little bit differently about how we do that to ensure that clients really are getting the best of what we have rather than bringing a product to bear or Ooh. saying we're trying to sell something, we're trying to advise and give counsel and sit on the same side of the table. Well, you know, and, and you apply that to your world of, of investment advice. And, and I think that we as a bank do that really well as a whole. Meaning, and, and what really strikes to the heart of my point in what you say is we're, we're not trying to sell something. If we can listen and get to know our clients, then we can help them navigate a journey that, that, that they may not realize they're on. And, and if we've been down this path before, and we're certainly on a path now that is somewhat new but somewhat similar to the past. Right. Um, but if we can help them identify those areas where they could trip up or, or have an opportunity to do something. So I love, I love that. And it makes me very proud of too. you, you, you were mentioning how you're very happy about being a part of the region's family and, and how we see things differently. I think that is a part of our core DNA at the bank, not just in your investment group, but across the bank, whether it's consumer, you know, uh, commercial corporate, we're not selling things. Hundred percent. I think at its core is this idea of bringing strategy to bear, of engaging with our clients, listening to our clients. Sun Tzu said it in The Art of War that tactics without strategy is noise before defeat. Ooh. And and I think that's where we come to bear. When you bring strategy and you think of, I want to listen first, then we can explore what we could do to try to solve for that. What are mm. you trying to achieve? And let us try to bring something to bear. Versus, I think so many institutions and individuals lead with a tactic of, I have this, I have a product, I have something that I want to bring to you, Yep, yep. which may or may not serve a purpose. But if you take it a step back and start with the listening, I just think that you develop a much better relationship. And to your point, we're a relationship bank. We want to deal with clients. Yep. Um, you have a much better chance of developing a long-term relationship and actually building that strategy out for them, regardless of what that what that interaction may lead to in the short run. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we got to play the long game. Uh, you know, my buddy Brian Wilman that runs commercial, he's always reminding us to play the long game. What was that quote again? Give me that quote again. <laughs> Tactics uh, without strategy is noise before defeat. So if you're just de- leading with tactics and you, yep. your whole goal is, I just have something to do and the desire to be on that hamster wheel of let's just do something all the time, action-oriented, yep. but without actually understanding what the actions are meant to achieve, mm-hmm. like, why are you going down this path? Yeah. Yeah, Again, yeah. it doesn't mean that you won't end up in a good place, but we deal with probabilities every day. What are the odds of something occurring? And that's a really low probability yeah. of success. Doesn't well, mean you- it won't, but it, it's hard. And, and I hear you say that, and it takes my – that's 
by the way, I always love when we're together because you're a quote guy and so am I. And I don't want to get into quote battle, <laughs> but but I always I was also thinking about, and I don't know who said it, but this idea that culture eats strategy for breakfast. So, mm-hmm. however, we you strategize, and if that becomes part of the culture, I think that's the point I'm making is. Having a strategy, whether it's an investment strategy, a commercial banking strategy, a private wealth strategy, that's part of our culture. Delivering that strategy in a listening, advising, kind, friendly way, that's the culture that we have to deliver the strategy. Anyway, I, I digress. I'm sorry. I was just thinking about No, I, th- I think that's works. exactly right. And I think if, if you're, by creating that culture, it leads to good outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it be with client interactions or investment outcomes, corporate consumer, you, whatever the the venue may be, you raise yeah. the probability of success. And I think that's what you try to do across any activity. It doesn't yes. matter if you're running the Peachtree Road Race or you're trying to, to generate returns for retirement or you're worried about your cash solution for a CFO of a company. Yep. You just want to raise the probability of success every day. And if you can do that, at least we believe it's going to be based on that culture and the engagement of the team. Yep rather than a host of other items that, you know, again, it's not that they're not helpful, but they're not going to drive the success in our mind. Okay. So I have a weird question. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know if uh, that keeps it interesting. I like it, it. It does. When, when you, when you assemble your team and, and you were, you're going through maybe some recommendations or you're evaluating an investment for the portfolio, whatever mm-hmm. it may be, um, in the back of your mind, do you, have a client profile that comes to you regularly or do, do, does your team do that so that, so that it's not, is there a way to personalize those conversations to a client, you know, to a prospect so that you're thinking about someone as you're making those decisions? Does that make sense? It does. And I a hundred percent. And so I think the, the way that I've thought about it over my career, and I've been doing this for almost 30 years. So, um, One, when I think about it for an individual, I think about my mom. So my dad passed away when I was in college and she had never opened a statement, had never looked at a report, had no idea what was going on from a financial perspective. And then suddenly she's thrust into this situation and and I was thrust alongside her as well as my sister of trying to solve for that, of saying, okay, what do we do? What does this mean? What do you have? All those types of questions, untangling quite a bit of stuff. And so I think that is sort of on the far end of the, on the personal side of what would we want to achieve for someone like my mom? Oh, and that cause that's so, the baseline. Oh, that's, that's so good. Yeah. That's what I was asking. Yeah. And okay. so, and then, and then that runs. So that's on the really, that's the far end of someone who really doesn't have any experience at all. Base level zero to then I sit on the board of a number of organizations, philanthropic organizations, and I've been on the investment committee for those organizations and I think about that scenario, which is we're in a, an organization that hopefully will be going on in perpetuity. Yep. So their profile of what they can do, and likely even the people on investment committee have experience, they're investors, they're professionals, that sort of thing. Those two ends of the spectrum from alpha to omega look very different. Yes. And so as, I'm, as we're going through it, we're trying to craft something that, can, that at its core can solve for both of those. But then really it's our team sitting with the clients yeah. And delivering it in, in the form is necessary for them and saying, okay, I hear what you are saying. I'm going to turn pivot back to the investment team and say, okay, this is what we have. Yeah. How do we solve for this? And you know, it's the old adage to, to keep fighting you with, with, um, with quotes here. History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Oh, I like which that. is from Mark like Twain, that. but it's, but I think again, that sort of thing where it's, they're not identical. No situation is identical. 
but there are threads to history, both mm -hmm. in the markets and with individuals and institutions that you can reflect on, bring them to bear, and hopefully then bring a value add to your clients, which is, it's not exact same, but we have worked with some other people. We have worked with other companies. This is what we might recommend. And yeah. then tweaking it around the edges to say, okay, how can we dial this in a bit oh, yeah. for your specific need? Oh, that's so good. That is so good. You know, especially in a world where everything seems to be one size fits all and a quick turnaround and it's, and everything is disposable today. I don't, that's not our approach to this thing right. at all. Not disposable, not quick turnaround, not, you know, one size fits all. Our approach to it is very customized, very engaging. You know, I love the adage of a journey. I talk about mm -hmm. that a lot with my wife and my family because we're on this journey. And I right. think my most fulfilling um, client relationships are ones where I can look back along, a, along the trail of the journey and see where we've done good things and where we've weathered rough things. And when I can bring that to another client, just like you said, and say, hey, we've been through this before. Let me, let me show you how this may go. Um, so speaking of that, when you, so, uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. Mm -hmm. We're in 2023. <laughs> Is there anything in today's economy that, um, that rhymes with the 2008, 29, you know, 2010 type of yeah. story? Luckily, not very much, thankfully, because I think that we always want to fight the last battle. And as we think through what occurred immediately, we anchor to, we have these biases. So one of the things you, you mentioned earlier as it relates to our investment team, we do a lot of work on behavioral economics, behavioral finance, that journey. So it's not just the data statistics because those are really enlightening, but there's also a psychological element. And you have to think through, okay, what does this actually mean? And so people immediately go to 08 or 09. They go back to 99, 2000 with the tech bubble. They go back to the, the Asian debt crisis. So you, you focus in on those. Unfortunately, there aren't a lot of parallels to where we are today in terms mm -hmm. of we've had an experienced higher inflation. It's finally coming down. We're seeing in the economy slow down, and yet we have unemployment at its lowest level in a multi-decade period. So, you know, it's really <laughs> the tale of two cities. You're like, okay, we have this high inflation and the economy slowing, but by the way, we also have this really low employment, unemployment. And so I think from that perspective, the closest really rhyme would be back to the early 80s when we had inflation and, and, and Paul Volcker, who was the okay. chairman of the Federal Reserve, had to step in and really force rates higher to finally get inflation under control. But that's not a good parallel as it relates to where we are from a from a, an economic cycle with unemployment and yeah. things are generally pretty good. Savings are good. Right now, the U.S. consumer has approximately $900 billion of excess savings on their balance sheets. Now that's okay. down from $2 trillion, so it's down. But things are still relatively good. So as we look at the landscape of the economy and the markets going forward, we think that it's going to be harder. The economy is slowing. But what we do know, if inflation can continue at its pace down, we still have the possibility of a soft landing. And what does that mean? Because you get it bannered about and it's like, oh, soft landing this, Federal Reserve that. It's really just the economy is slowing. It's going to be harder to grow. It means yep. that unemployment should rise a little bit. Um, but that doesn't mean it has to be cataclysmic. And it doesn't have to be this earth-shattering change. It can be this slow motion. Better way to describe it is the analogy of it's not the wily e. Coyote moment. If you've ever watched <laughs> you know, Bugs Bunny, yeah, you know, the so Roadrunner, where he just goes off the cliff. Yep. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the slow deceleration. So okay. it, uh, it, which from an investment perspective, 
It's challenging. Uh, the market's up quite a bit this year, but savers are finally being rewarded with higher interest rates. Yeah, they are. And they are. Two years ago, you were effectively getting nothing on savings. Now you're being rewarded for savings. And that's a huge benefit to retirees for pension plans that are trying to match off liabilities. So there are a lot of silver linings to it. It's not perfect. It's not easy. It never is. But yep. you know, I, th- I think there are some elements that are, that are not as bad as widely reported. Right, right, right. No, I, I love that. And you know, oftentimes when we're together, I hop back in my truck to ride back home and I'm like, Phew. I'm so glad I talked to Alan because <laughs> he, he gives me an explanation that sounds different and sounds more reasonable than, you know, somebody I'm listening to on Twitter. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny, though, is I think that, listen, the world is made up of you get a lot more attention if you're at the far ends, whatever it is, you know, extreme in anything. But I think that the majority of circumstances are in the middle are down yes. the middle. Yeah, and I that, that's where that. most things happen. It doesn't, you know, we remember the very good and the yep. very bad. Yep. But the majority of life is spent in the middle. And so I think that's as a baseline, you try to think through, okay, what's really more likely to happen? Yep. Um, and then work with, again, we're working with clients and our investment team to say, okay, what does that mean to you, JD? Like, wh- how does that impact you? Because that's going to be very different than Mike or Adam, you know, whoever it is, it's going to be different. Yeah. So when, when I think about today, and I, all right, so forgive me for going back to the comment that I just made about Twitter, but if you, if you whatever social media or whatever mainstream media network you listen to, there are things being talked about in the economy that we may not fully understand. Mm-hmm. For example, um, the bond market is uh, is changing, and the value of bonds are are down as interest rates rise. Can you give us a basic understanding of how how the bond market moves and why that's important to maybe a maybe a retiree or a business owner? Certainly. So it's, it's very core when you think about bonds is you're entering into a contract with someone, whether it be the U.S. government in the form of U.S. treasuries with a company, with corporate bonds, in, in a mortgage-backed security where it's really a pool of mortgages. So think of thousands of people like yourself with mortgages and the, the interest you're paying on those mortgages is behind a bond that has been created for you to invest in. Right. What you know to be true is the coupon that's going to be paid on that bond. Correct. How much they're going to pay you for the money that you're, quote unquote, investing with them. So that coupon is not going to change. It can in very extreme circumstances, but the bottom line is that coupon is not going to change. So where you buy it, though, will change depending on where interest rates are. And what we have found over the last really 12 months is interest rates can rise quite a bit. And quickly. And quickly. <laughs> yes. It's you know, gradually and then suddenly. Yeah. Um, and so... I think to that end, bonds, you understand what you're going to generate in income from that. Now, the bond may rise and fall based on where interest rates are. And as an example, if interest rates are at five right now, and that's what you paid, and interest rates rise, well, your bond is going to be worth less. Yep. Because basically, you could go out and invest at higher rates and buy something buy another bond that pays you more. A new entrant to the market is going to is going to be able to buy that same bond at a higher interest rate which devalues the rate that you have at 5%. Exactly okay. right. And so okay. when you think about what it means to someone is that particularly for individuals who are are saving or in retirement, they may want to know exactly how much cash flow or yep. coupon and interest they need. And they'd say, "Look, I need $100,000 per year." Yep. Bottom line, I can create a bond portfolio that generates that exact amount of income. And, and that's all they may want to do. Now, the, the odds of, of your bond portfolio going up or capital gains in that portfolio, unless rates go down quite a bit, is fairly low. And you really shouldn't assume that you're going to generate that much off of 
interest rates one way or the other. Yep. You may just yep. say, I just want to make this much. Or if you're an institution, you have a pension plan, you'd say, I just need to generate this much because I need to pay my pensioners, yeah. the beneficiaries, a certain amount of money. And I'm less worried about rates higher, lower. I just want to ensure that that amount of cash is generated off of the portfolio and then can pay, yep. pay our pensioners. Now, the flip side of all this is, as a company, if you're, if you're actually raising funds, it's a lot nicer to raise funds when rates are at 1% than at 5%. So yeah. again, as I said earlier, the silver lining as an investor is that you're making more on your portfolio of bonds. Conversely, as a company or as the U.S. Treasury, you're having to pay a lot more for access to capital. And, right. it's, it's, and so again, it's the flip side of the same coin. It can benefit one group, savers, retirees, those who have bond portfolios and are looking for higher income levels. The, con the commensurate downside is for entities, whoever it may be, to try to raise capital. Yep. It's going to yep. cost more. The issuers of that. That's right. And so that's that where bond. we try to think through that is in, in working for a bank, you think about both sides of the ledger and yes. what that may mean. Yeah. Um, it, it, the reason I bring up bonds is because I think, I think, you know, Main Street business owner, business executive, they, they know what the S&P did yesterday. But no one is really paying too much attention to the bond market, although it, it matters, especially for the, for the federal government when they're issuing new treasuries at today's rate, which is devaluing those that that were that were bought years ago. Anyway, I think it's a, and people need to be talking to their wherever they uh, wherever their investment advisor may be. You know, these are the types of education is important. And understand these things. And you know, I think to that end, it's there's so much noise out there Ooh. every day. The yeah. noise. And what you want to try to distill are the signals, the real information yes. versus the noise. And to your point, the market, quote unquote, is, is what people think of as that noise of what's happening in the mm -hmm. market today. And they think of the stock market. It's up, That's it's down, it. yes. it's red, it's green, good, bad, whatever that may be. That's not necessarily what you should be focused on. Because in the short run, it's effectively a coin flip. We've done a lot of research on it. And you look at the stock market, any given day, it's a coin flip as to whether it'll be up or down. So don't spend your time on something that you have no idea what's going to happen. What you want to spend your time on is three to five years out. Yes. And even yes. what do bonds do? How do, I, how do I minimize? You talked about the journey earlier. Can you smooth the journey? Oh, yeah. And that's, and that's an important part of our client journey as we talk to them, of, of how much risk do you want to take? And risk just meaning long-term impediment to capital, impediment to what you want to achieve, your life, or for an institution, do you want to have to then be in a position where you may need to raise more funds or get more donors or whatever it may be? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and as you're saying that, my mind goes to the fact that, you know, we've been on a good run in the overall market. You know, I think a lot of times uh, someone on Main Street may say the market and they're thinking about the stock market. I had the sneaking suspicion that when Alan McKnight talks about the market, it's broader than that. That's right. It, it has more components than, than, than I may have. Um, you know, but, but when, you, when you look at the, the, the big picture and somebody just needs to, I, I want to say sort of simmer down. <laughs> you know, just, you know, don't, don't panic. I, um, my aunt was in town and, and she was asking me about what to do with this or what to do with that. And, you know, that's, it's an easy question for somebody to ask, but it's a difficult answer because we've been on such a good run. And a lot of this has been on autopilot. 
Mm-hmm. I, I mean, when I say a lot of this, a lot of 401ks, a lot of mutual fund investments, it's been pretty easy to get some gains, if you will, in a variety of portfolios. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, with economic headwinds blowing, with the, the you know increased inflation, all right. those things, these are times where we need an Alan McKnight and team to share with us, hey, what what can I do here? What am I what am I missing? I think I think we got to be careful about not what do we know. I think in times like this, we got to be asking people like yourself, what am I missing? What yeah. do I not know? Yeah. What are what are the unknowns? And how yeah. would those unknowns impact me? And I think yeah. to that end is we, yeah. we get the same question regularly about what should I do, and my initial response is I don't know because I don't know enough yet mm-hmm. to give you any real advice and counsel. What I need to understand is holistically. What's your situation? What are you trying to achieve? What it, I, w- without a full picture of the balance sheet, it's really hard to provide thoughtful counsel. You can do sort of off-the-cuff ideas, and this is, you know, th- this, I would do this or that. And I would say anyone who provides that to you in ready fashion and wants to give you that idea is likely not thinking about you as an, advi- thinking as an advisor or counselor. They're thinking of what product can I sell. Ooh. And I think that's a, I think that's a different here. So we want to know, what are you trying to achieve? What do you want to do? But you really have to try to, as much as you can, minimize the noise. And that's why we think there's a lot of great work. Um, Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize for this. And there's a great book, Thinking Fast and Slow, yeah. which don't ask my wife about what she thought of that book. But, um, <laughs> but if you're an economist and an investor, you'll love it. it but just talk through all the, the pitfalls as humans, the decisions we make. We make mm. really bad decisions when we follow just the noise. Yes. You know, when, example, if you're being chased on the Savannah by a lion, the first reaction is probably good. That visceral system one, as he calls it, reaction of, I got to run. Yep. Good call. When you see something red on the screen on your TV in the morning, that should not immediately alert you to, I should go sell everything yeah. Yeah. And, and, and do nothing. You know I mean? Again, yeah. we, we just think that there's so much that can be that could be brought forward for the way we make decisions yeah. and ensuring that, uh, that you're aware of those things. So you make good decisions. Yeah. I haven't, I've, I've not read that book, but, and I can't remember what I was listening to yesterday, but, uh, I'm sorry, I can't call it, but essentially 70% of our, uh, decisions are emotional and only 30% are, you know, strategic or well thought through. Right. And, and I, and, and I began to think about that in my own life, though, that 70% of my decisions pretty much suck. <laughs> Yeah. You know, be, why? Because of panic, because I think something has to be done and I get emotional about it. And the next thing you know, I'm having to go back and make up for lost time or say mm-hmm. I'm sorry or say my bad. And and we do that. You, somebody wakes up and those red numbers are like, oh, my gosh, the sky is falling. Chicken little, you know, get, oh, yeah. get so-and-so on the line. Well, and to that end, what happens, too, is that you have one survivorship bias, which is just that you were, whatever worked for you when you were in that 70 percent that were that were just completely emotion driven, you remember those and you think, Oh, well, that worked out really well for me. What you forget about are the other 50 yeah. where you did yeah. it and it ended up poorly. People forget about those and try to move past those. You also have, and we all have this when I say, I mean, it, it, myself included is you have overconfidence and you think this is the right thing for me today. And you immediately react to it. And it's not until much later that you think yeah. through, well, if I had actually gone through a process, yeah. if I had a strategy, if I, had, if I had thought through the journey, I would not have made that decision. And yeah. so, but that's hard to do because it also then requires you to think through, like, so we do as a post mortem 
on our investment decisions to understand, was it a good decision or a bad decision? Okay. And the key is accountability at the process level. Process accountability is what drives good investment decision-making, which is how do we arrive at that decision? Ooh, what did we do beforehand? Good. And okay. then did it work? Because it doesn't mean you're not going to get lucky. Listen, as my dad used to say, better to be lucky than smart. Yeah. I mean, it's great to be lucky, but let's make sure we know it was luck versus skill, and let's differentiate between those two so we can do it again. Oh, I we don't it. have to flip the coin. I, the, I, this, this is so good. All right, I got two <laughs> things I want to say about that. Number one is you know, about the emotional part and doing a little bit of a postmortem and, and you know, managing expectations. If, if we have any golfers listening, my mind goes to the fact that you, know, you, hit, a, you hit a nine iron 150 one day, and it goes right to the, the middle of the green, and you're like, my nine iron is now my 150 club. That's right. <laughs> no, your nine iron was your 150 club on that swing. Right. All the other times, it's only going 130. But our mind gets into this thing where, yeah, hit my nine iron 150 like, you know, some PGA Tour pro. And, and that's, just, that's just not the case. That's right. You know, so we get that bias going. It's, it's just, who would have ever thought that we would bring Chief Investment Officer Alan McKnight on to talk about what he does and we end up, you know, some <laughs> sort of psychological couch over here talking through these things. But all of our decisions are based in, you know, those experiences, the psychology of it mm -hmm. all. The, the question that I want, that, I want that, that, that leads me to is when you do your postmortem and you go back and you look at an investment, what are the criterias of success? Is it only that the investment was uh, higher at the end of the, of, the, of the horizon than lower? I mean, no, that, that, that's exactly right. So what we do is we think about it on a risk-adjusted basis. So we say, how much risk did we have to take to achieve a return? Because if I went into it thinking I didn't want to take on very much risk, but the return was really high and with a lot of risk. Well, that wasn't really a success because mm. that wasn't the goal of the okay. investment. It doesn't mean we weren't happy that something happened to work out. But <laughs> again, when you th we do in, in the decision-making process, we outline what we expect before we even get into it. We'd say, this is what we should expect. This is the amount of risks we think we are taking. This is what our, the, the foundation of the investment looks like. like. Why are we doing this? Ooh, that is so good. And it, make sure we articulate that because again, and once you're in it, it's easy to come up with a host of reasons as to why you should continue to own it, why you should sell it, all those sorts of things. But at its core, why did you originally put the, in, put, put the investment on? Why did you make that decision? Because mm -hmm. then you can go back at the postmortem and say, okay, where were we right in that? Did we get it right? Or where were we wrong? And again, you can have some, some good criteria around it. I, I, example, I was just talking to a friend and um, his son is, is now doing auto racing, races these Miatas, these, these, I mean, effectively sports cars that have been revved up to be able to race on tracks around the country. And he was talking about now they can look at everything that goes on in the cockpit of the car. Oh, wow. Up to speed, turns, everything they're doing. So they can then have that postmortem afterwards to say, mm -hmm. not only here's the data, but why did you do what you did? Like yeah. based on what you were seeing at the time, and that's what we we're doing. At the time we were looking at it, right. what do we right. think? which looks different than today. So economy is versus this time last year, market was selling off worst equity and fixed income returns we'd seen since before 1940. I mean, together. Yeah. Oh and yeah. Yet, Both were down. Yeah. And so you think, well, that doesn't seem like a really great time to invest. That was a really bad. And yet now a year later, markets up 14%. Stock market is bond markets up almost two. I mean, so again, yeah. you have this sort of 
let's make sure we, when you're looking at it, you're looking at it with the exact same data and lens that you had at the time versus yep. your updated. Well, it's upon. the strategy part yeah. that you that you talked about from Mark Twain earlier in the conversation. I remember my days at Merrill Lynch when I first got into finance. You know, we still had fax machines then, and you'd get two faxes in the morning. You know, <laughs> one would be the sell sheet, and the next would be the buy sheet. And, and all these guys would rush over to the fax machine. They'd get the sell sheet. They'd look it up. Everybody that had that, they would sell it. And then they would place them in whatever the buy sheet was. Mm-hmm. And that's how, uh, you know, I, uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of people may still, number one, think that that's what happens in a shop maybe like ours. Or maybe they don't realize that there is this, this um, approach to it that, that doesn't just analyze, did something go up? It is, did it fit for your strategy? Mm-hmm. Did it fit for the journey that you're on? And that's something that we're very good at because of the team that you lead and your approach to it. That's right. And I think what you're trying to counteract is what you've described, which is someone who comes and says, why didn't I buy this or that or this? My friend owns this <laughs> and that did so well. And why wasn't I in that? Yeah, whatever yeah. it is, it doesn't matter what asset it is. You know, it could be uh-huh. It could be your house. It could be a piece of real estate. It could be a stock. It could be a bond. But inevitably, as as human psychology works, we think, "What? Well, gosh, you know, JD's doing real well. He just he told me he just bought X. I pivot to my advice. Why didn't I buy that? Well, mm. let's step back. Let's talk about the process. Why are you invested the way you are? Why are you know, certain things going yeah. on that you have no idea what is happening? And by the way, you know, cocktail chatter is probably not the best place. Oh, really? To receive? I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> I, I, Not I the best that, investment. I does. thought that's where all the decisions yeah. were made. <laughs> all the good decisions, all right? The good, yeah, all the ones that None really bad. I'm going to bring this in for a little bit of a landing, so that so that we can uh, let you go back and do what you do so well. And and I love this conversation. And I think that our our clients are going to um, really appreciate hearing what you say. And it's going to it's going to prompt them to think about what who should they talk to. And we want it to be us, but we encourage them to talk to their their current board of advisors. You know, we, we uh, espouse this idea that commercial business owners and executives should surround themselves regularly with their banker, their CPA, and their insurance agent. And at least once a year, you should probably bring in your, your, your financial advisor, mm-hmm. regardless of where they are, and have a, a basically an advisory board meeting. So that's what we espouse. For regions, and, and I'm getting to our final question with this long lead-in, a couple years ago, uh, 20. 21, let's say, um, in North Georgia, in the North Georgia market, we had several clients sell their business. Several of them sold for very nice sums of money. And um, a testimony to your team and that of our entire bank is this. This is, I think this is an interesting stat. Let's just say that uh, the, 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 um, I, I want to be careful with, with how I describe it, but um, of the assets that were, um, accumulated as a result of those sales about 90 percent of those assets stayed at regions meaning a liquidity event occurred and of the hundreds of millions of dollars that were generated about 90 percent of it stayed on investment with us through our investment platform that tells me that we are um very good at what we do our approach is very easily understood by those that are making uh, Mm -hmm. complex strategic decisions and I, and I think that um, others need to know that. So when you think about a business owner, those business owners trusted us in 2021 at a right. liquidity event. When you think of, 
you know, uh, uh, someone in Sewanee, Georgia that owns a manufacturing company and they may be considering a sale or maybe it's a, an executive that, that has, a, has an investment por- portfolio. I'm not asking you to give advice. That would be inappropriate on the podcast. But I am asking you, how would you want them to think of us mm-hmm. in order to, 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 to formulate a conversation? What do you want them to think about us? At its core, it's about a team. Exactly what you described as it relates to bringing in advisors and thinking of the whole balance sheet and, and what you have and understanding there may be times where the best opportunity is to sell whatever it may be. Let's say it's manufacturing enterprise, multiples are really high, whatever reason, there's a private equity firm that really wants to buy it. And you're like, wow, I'm never going to see this type of value again. And then shift those assets over to investments and liquid, liquid investments, um, building out a portfolio. There are other times where the best advice you can get is, gosh, multiples aren't that great you're still throwing off a ton of cash. We can't replicate that in an investment portfolio. The best thing you can do is keep doing what you're doing. The only way you receive that advice is if you have this table of advisors and counselors who are sitting around and it's not just in their short-term best interest, it's in their long-term best interest. Mm. That's the kind of interaction you have where you know that you're getting trusted advice and that people can walk away and, because the easiest thing to do is say, well, just sell it transaction fees and you can do this or I can get the investment from it instead say wow let's let's have a conversation figure out what you're trying to achieve maybe that's five years from now but then let's start doing the work beforehand where that may then to get ready for that to get ready for it and then let's update every year things change someone wants to retire you have a sickness in the family whatever it may be and you yeah. say you know what maybe this is the time to make a change I, literally I just talked to a friend who sits on a board um, and he's been very involved and he's he's stepping away from work his wife has been sick and so he said, you know what? If you told me this 18 months ago, I would have said, I'm ready to keep working. I'm going to do this and that. I'm going to stay on the boards. And instead he said, you know what? Things change. Mm-hmm. Let's pivot. If you're talking to your advisors regularly, that counsel that you have, yeah, you can have those discussions and have a robust decision-making process rather than a point in time and thinking you just have to get something done. Oh, that is so good. It makes me think about, you know, maybe it's no longer called a board of advisors. Maybe it's something like, you know, a council of truth tellers. Mm-hmm. You know, who's going to look at you and tell you the truth right. about what's going on, not just what you want to hear or not somebody that wants to um, do a transaction and generate right. a fee. Um, uh, that's what I appreciate about early on in this conversation about your perspective on the markets and how these things work is because I feel like it's the truth when it comes from Alan McKnight. You know, you're not, you're not looking for clicks. You're not looking for likes. You're not looking for downloads. You care about our customers deeply, and you want them to succeed in whatever it is that they're doing. And we're not here for clicks. We're not here for likes. We're here to tell the truth and help our clients not just achieve their dreams, but sometimes, unfortunately, if life throws you a curveball, you got to make a decision and be ready to go. And if you don't surround yourself with truth tellers, then, then you're not going to end up at the right end of the journey. That's exactly right. And, and as you said before, play the long game. Yeah. How do you play the long game? You get great advice over many years. You find those people who can tell you the truth and who are willing to be honest with you and provide insights and counsel you're not getting other places. Yeah. And, and leverage it. I think that's how you play the long game. And I think that's what we hope to do every day as investors and as members of the region's team is that where can we step into the vanguard and try to provide that for our clients and prospective clients where they may not be receiving it today? Yeah, that is so good. Um, 
we could talk about this for hours. Uh, do you have any closing comments you'd like? And, and remember, our audience really is business owners and executives in North Georgia. Mm-hmm. Some bank with us, some may not. But any closing comments um, that you'd like to share with our audience? I think it gets to what we were just discussing, which is start the process. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to start those discussions because you're busy. You're a business owner. You've got a thousand things 24-7 you could be worrying about, mm-hmm. thinking about doing. And so one of the easiest things to push off is long-term thinking and trying to assess what you would like to do. Yes. Go ahead and start the process. Yes. Make the call. Set up the time for an hour, a couple hours to start it off and then get it into the rotation. Yep. It's like so many things that we found over time, which are the repetition works, whether it be playing golf or exercise or financial future or whatever it may be, your enterprise, if you just do it regularly, yep. you have a higher probability of success. So start the process. If you do that, you have a much higher probability of success. And that's yeah. what I would leave. And, and start that process with someone from regions. I mean, yeah. um, we, we do want to listen. I think we're a highly engaging um, you know, culture. And, and you make me think about in closing that advice that you just gave everyone. I, I was with a client on Friday. And, you know, we're, we're, we're walking and talking together and he owns a great business and he's decided that, you know, he's got to put his plan in place and the plan may be selling. It may be seeking out a a peg or an equity firm. It may be an ESOP, um, which are things that if you don't understand, please call us. We'll talk to you about it. But, um, you know, and, and he said, I called, I called my commercial banker. And, and he connected me with someone from, from regions that knows and understands those things that's going to help me. And this is a guy that his dad started, started the business. Uh, he's now, I don't know, in his mid-60s. His dad died when he was in his 50s. He had a brother pass away. So his, the emotion about this business for him mm-hmm. is very deep. Dad started it. Uh, lost a brother to, to, to illness during this. And now, and, and his... Who did he engage? His region's commercial banker, who in turn brought in someone from your team to talk about it. Those, that's what we do. That is, right. and, and we do it really well. Um, you're a blessing. Uh, I think that your wisdom goes uh, beyond what we could capture in a 45-minute uh, podcast. I hope you'll come back and join us a, at some point, and I really appreciate you being here today. Would love to come back, and hopefully I didn't put too many people to sleep with my comments. That's always a risk, but hopefully I kept them with us. <laughs> no, we want to make sure that your uh, daughters know how cool you are. <laughs> so I wasn't planning on doing this, but you know, if we if we got your phone out and listened to your your, your music playlist right now, mm-hmm. what are you listening to? Because I have three daughters, Taylor Swift is almost always at the top of the list if I'm with anyone else. And so I really have no choice. I think what I always tell people is I do two things really well in, in our family. I reach high places, and for those who can't see me, I'm 6'4", and I lift heavy objects. Yeah. Those are my two primary functions. If I do those two things well, everything else works. Yes. So I keep it simple. Yeah, yeah. Alan McKnight, all-star dad. Right. Thank you for listening to Regions of Business Radio. I'm your host, J.D. Mueller, and we look forward to, uh, to having you join us again. Thank you. Regions Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This information is general in nature and is not intended to be accounting, legal, tax, investment, or financial advice. Regents believes this information to be accurate when recorded, but it cannot ensure that it will remain up to date. Consult an appropriate professional concerning your specific situation. The information should not be construed as a recommendation of a specific course of action for any individual or business. All Regents products and services are subject to qualification requirements, terms, conditions, fees, and credit. Approval.
Regions reminds its customers that they should be vigilant about fraud and security and that they are responsible for taking action to protect their computer systems. Fraud prevention requires a continuous review of your policies and practices as the threat evolves daily. There is no guarantee that all fraudulent transactions will be prevented or that related financial losses will not occur. Visit regions.com backslash stop fraud or speak with your banker for further information on how you can prevent fraud.